0: If you have your Bible, you can go turn to the book of Philippians. That's in the New Testament. That's toward the backside of your your Bible. You can remember the order of the books. You could say God eats popcorns, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're in Philippians. God eats popcorn or girls eat popcorn. I don't know, but uh, that's that's how I remember it. Uh, So Philippians chapter 4. Again, if you're joining us, we're glad you're here. Uh, We are going through a series like we like to do. Uh, through a book of the Bible. Occasionally, we'll, we'll break it up and, and talk about other things, but uh, the general rhythm of our life together would be to go through entire books uh, of the Bible together. And uh, as we join now and are about to be addressed by God through His Word, I just want us to remember that that is a great privilege, that we got to come here this morning, though we, if, if any of us were to put the, the scene of our thoughts and our words and our lives on the screen this week, we would be embarrassed, and yet we get to enter into uh, God's presence with God's people to praise Him, and now uh, the great privilege is He gets to address us through His Word. And so that's where we're at this morning. I'll, I'll read the passage and, and pray for our time as, as we ask Him to do just that, uh, and then we'll continue. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And as I read, I'd ask you to listen carefully. This is God's word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women And the God of peace will be with you. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Let's pray. God, we, we do come before you now and, and are, are grateful even now as just the ability to read your word with, without fear of persecution out loud in public. God, thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray now as, as we always pray that you would come and make this truth alive in our hearts, that you would anoint individual words and phrases and points uh, for each heart here, Lord, as only you can do. And God, again, we would ask that our, our hearts would be open, our, our, our minds would be able to comprehend the, all that you have for us through your word this morning. May the meditations of our minds and the, the joy of our hearts rise on the hearing of your spirit to us through your word now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, For a long time, I've been enamored with virtual reality. See, uh, there was a movie when I was a junior in high school that came out called The Lawnmower Man. And The Lawnmower Man was the first movie about virtual reality. And I remember going to this movie with my friends from high school, and I remember before the movie telling them, this is the future. This is what it's going to be like. And, uh, and so we watched The Lawnmower Man and, and how uh, in the movie, the virtual reality just kind of takes over. And then a couple of years ago, uh, my friend who went to that movie with me brought that up and he said, you said it was going to be like that. And I said, well, just wait. I know it's been 25 years, but just wait. It's going to be like that. But I hadn't had any experience. I was waiting, waiting decades. And, uh, but the last winter, we were skiing. And we were skiing at Copper Mountain. We came down to the base of the mountain, and there was a Facebook bus. If you don't know, Facebook also owns something called Oculus Rift, which is virtual reality. And on the bus, they said, uh, on the side, it says, uh, try out virtual reality. And, and so we went, and uh, because Facebook's policy is you have to be 13, uh, my little daughter's going to go. But me and Zoe went in, and, and they said, okay, you're going to stand here. You're going to be in a virtual uh, scene. You'll, you'll, there'll be about four or five scenes, but we want you to hold on to this rail because people can get disoriented. And so we put on kind of the the, the headset, and we go in there, and, and there's these scenes. And and it, wherever you look, uh, it's is that scene. And so at one point, we're, we're walking through the field, but I hear something behind me and, and I turn around and these giant brontosaurus nostrils are breathing <laughs> on me. And, and it was alarming and and you, you kind of jump back. And then the next scene, you're in like a Mongolian yurt and, and there's a fire in the middle and the, it's full of people. And they're all looking at you because you look around kind of like right now and, and they're all like looking, waiting for something from you and and it it was cool. But the next week, I had my second virtual reality experience. We have a friend who um, is in the movie business, but also in the virtual reality business. So he uh, was in town from Los Angeles, and he was visiting family. He said, if you want to bring your girls to check out uh, virtual reality, I'll, I'll I'll show them some things. And we're like, yeah, we want to check that out. And so we went there, and uh, he was explaining, showing us the computer and the headset and the hand things. And, and we said, oh, okay, that that's really cool. And so he said, well... <clears throat> why don't we have one of your kids come and, and we'll sit you down in a chair because it can be disorienting. And they said, okay, and, and we're going to keep it. And he was very adamant. He's like, I'm going to have a very, a very mild kind of uh, movie where they're just kind of in the middle of a movie and uh, some cartoon aliens will come and try to abduct them. And I'm like, okay, great. And, and so <laughs> we're watching that they put in and there, you can see them looking around, they're sitting in their chair and, and we can see the screen of what, what they're seeing. And and we're like, that, that's cool. And then it was my turn. And they're like, OK, we're going to amp, amp it up just a little bit. But you can stand and move in this like four-foot box. And uh, uh, as you move around, you can interact with the objects. And you're going to be in a space station. And, and, and again, I'm like shooting rockets and all sorts of stuff. And, and that was cool. And then so he's like, but the thing I'm working on, the thing I get paid to do is I'm working for a project for Intel, the microprocessor company. Uh, I was out in the desert of Arizona for a week Filming this it was to film how to do a a, a what is it parachute <laughs> um skydiving so you'll you'll go skydiving um, and uh i'm still he's still working on it he's like It'll be a little disorienting because I'm still stitching the, the video together and stuff like that. But you can try it. But I want you to sit in the chair because, again, it's disorienting. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll sit in the chair. And, and you go skydiving. And, and that, that's cool. And then my, uh, some of my other family were trying a thing. And I was talking to his brother-in-law. He's like, oh, he's, he's keeping it really mild for you. Uh, That's the headset thing, but they have these rooms that he works in that that they have cameras in the room, so you can actually put on the headset, not tied to a computer, and walk in this empty room. Now, the room is just an empty room with white walls, but as you step in, he's like, that will freak you out. That will mess with your mind, and they intentionally do that. He's like, you go in the room, and, and at first, they make it look like the exact room that you are actually walking into. Uh, But then you stand in the middle, and everything starts to change. Out of the wall, uh, the hole rips open, and spiders start to come out of the wall, and and they start to crawl along you. And then rodents come through the door, and then a tiger comes, and he begins to prowl around you as you're walking. And he said, I couldn't handle anymore. I freaked out. I screamed. I, I yelled for them to turn it off, and his buddies are all just laughing at him. Maybe you've seen videos like this before where someone's in virtual reality and someone will push them and and they'll freak out because it's hard in, in virtual reality, even though you know it's not real, it's hard to separate what you see and what you feel. And so he says, there's also this one where you're walking across this narrow bridge and there's a lava river down below and you've got to kind of walk across. But when you get to the middle of the bridge, it breaks and it it falls and you see the lava falling up. He said, more times than not, when that happens, the person crumples to the ground. Why? They're just standing in an empty room. And, And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that in, in relation to what Paul is saying. Paul has said some things to the, to the church at, at, at Philippi, and, and we live in a world that uh, seems very tangible, very real. Like, like it, it can be scary, it can be difficult, and, and uh, it can be disorienting. You can crumple to the ground, uh, but Paul is trying to help us say, hey, you." the gospel helps us take off the lens of what's not true and what's not right and see things as it really is. See, the gospel and Paul living in light of the gospel, he says, you know, we're going to all walk out of here and we're going to walk in a sense into a virtual world. That's why Paul will say to the Colossians, uh, fix your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. He'll say to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, we, we fix our eyes on that which is unseen because that which is unseen is eternal, but what that which is seen is temporary. So in a sense, everything out there and all the things that they're trying to sell us and and, and make in our lives is, is temporary. It's a virtual reality world, but it seems really real. And so we get caught up in it. We say, well, well everyone else says we got to have a, a nice house and a nice car. And everyone else says we should pursue safety and security. And every now and again, that illusion gets smashed and we see life as it really is. But Paul wants to see through all of it, wants us to see through all of it. He wants his, his church that he loves to persevere, to stand firm, to not crumple when the world seems to be crumbling around them. And it was for the Philippians. They were facing persecution and poverty and division and all these things that might make their faith crumple. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, as he's closing out his letter, remember he's writing from a prison cell in Uh, Rome, and he's writing to a people that are also facing persecution. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, just hear in Paul's voice his love for this church. He says this, Stand firm thus in the Lord. Like sometimes if you have the virtual reality headset on and you're in the middle of the room, what they say, if you want to get your bearings, just close your eyes and hold on and say, here's what's true. I'm just in the middle of a room. There's not a tiger right next to me about to pounce on me. And Paul's saying this, stand firm. Here's how you're going to stand firm. He's going to give them... Well, at least five, actually about eight commands, but I'm only going to focus on five commands. And now when I preach, I like to just do one. I like to say, here's the one thing you can take away, but... uh this is what the Word has today. It's got five commands, but uh, I'll, I'll, you'll see all of them, but here's what I want you to do with them. I don't want you to be like, oh, man, i got to do all five of these. They are commands, so eventually this should be a model for the, for the Christian life, but, but maybe there's just one that, that, the, that God would press on your heart to say, man, this week, that's the thing that God is, is pressing on me. Now, these commands, they can seem strange at first glance. Uh, they can seem odd. Have you ever seen a, a sign with an odd command on it? So, um, when we were uh, in Okinawa, we would, every Memorial Day, we would take uh, a ferry over to another island, not yet, <laughs> um, and, and we would. Um, on this ferry, there, there would, it would be hot, tropical, island, hot in the sun. So many people would go up to the top deck and they would sunbathe or, or whatever. Uh, but, but they always got a kick out of the command. That was in Japanese, but apparently it got translated. Maybe not quite accurately. And, and here is that sign. So go ahead. This command is an odd command. I undress myself and prohibit it. And so we all take our picture with this. I undress myself and prohibit it. Now that's an odd command, right? So I found this picture yesterday. And uh, well, I I have all daughters and my wife. And uh, so I got down in my boxer shorts and I walked around the house and I said, I undress myself and prohibit it. (laughs) And they're like, "What? what are you doing? It's a command. I undress myself and prohibit it. My daughter's like, that's hypocritical. I'm like, no, you, you don't understand. My wife's like, do not tell that story tomorrow. Um, I was like, no, it's a good command. I address myself in prayer. Now, how do we get to, to the scripture here? Well, All that to say is this first command is not, you can take it off the screen. This first command is not that, don't put it up yet, not that odd, but the, the, the second, third, and fourth one are really kind of odd when we think about it. But these are all tools they're all resources for us. They're, they're commands of God for us so that we may stand firm, that we might not crumple when the world seems to be crumpling around us. So stand firm. Let's look at it here. Uh, but even this verse 1, when you think about it's a little bit strange. He says this. Again, Paul knows this church. He knows these people. And so he gets very specific. Verse 2, "'I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintique to agree in the Lord.'" Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so the first command that, that to stand firm in the Lord for this church and for us is this. Uh, you can click it. It is to fight for unity in the church because Christ died for his church. Now think about this. Paul is, is sending this letter and he's sending it probably with Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is coming back with good news that he's alive and he's going to report on Paul. He's going to tell them. And so he sees the first church members and they're like, hey, tell us about Paul. How is he doing in Rome? And he says, well, actually he sent a letter. So gather the whole church across the city and we'll meet maybe in Lydia's place. Cause Lydia has a big place. We learn in Acts chapter 16. And so they gather the church. He's like, I don't want to tell you about Paul. I want to, I want you to hear from him yourself. And so they gather the church and, and he begins to read this letter and they hear that Paul is imprisoned and he is in chains, but oddly, Paul says, These chains are advancing the gospel. I praise God for these chains. Not only that, uh, they read they, they hear out loud Paul saying, you know, I, I might die, but but to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And they scratch their head. And and then he goes to chapter two and he, he, he starts to encourage the Philippians and he says, You need to have the same mind of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He's encouraging the whole church to be humble. And I just imagine in this midst, there's these two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Something's gone wrong. They're, they're genuine believers, they've trusted Christ, they've been converted. Their, their issue is not doctrinal. Their issue isn't uh, uh, you know, that, that, that one believes something else about God than the other. And Paul has just said there are some dangers to the church. Uh, there's, there's outside dangers. There's false teachers. There's all sorts of things that could, that, that could threaten you standing firm. But he says there's a bigger danger. And he, he addresses Euodia and Sintic by name. Imagine that, like you're just sitting there. Maybe we've got Yodia and her clan, her clique over here, and maybe we've got Cintiq over here and her clique, and something has gone wrong. There's been a, a fracture in the relationship, and some are, are starting to gravitate towards Euodia and some to Cintiq, and they're starting to fracture. They're, 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 they're about to have the first church split. Now, some of you have been part of church splits and the damage that that does. And so Paul, why does he call them out by name? And when he calls them out by name, imagine their alarm. Because at this point, they're probably thinking, man, I hope Yodia's listening to that part about humility. And the other person is like, I hope Cyntic really heard that part about how we should be like Jesus. Because she could really stand to be more like Jesus. At this point, they're just thinking, because we do that, right? I mean, husbands and wives, sometimes you're in the middle of the sermon, you're like, I hope he heard that. You know, like, this is all for him. This is, all. I'm so glad that my husband came today because, man, he really needed this. This is what I imagine these two women are feeling at this point, up until the point Paul says their names. Imagine that. Imagine if I'm like, hey, Brad and Brad. You too. I've been noticing some things in your life. Hey everybody, listen to this. You know that, that would be a it'd be one of those Southwest Airline moments, right? Like something bad has happened, and, and it goes, you want to get away. Like that's how Yodia and Cintiq are feeling right now. Like oh my word! But why does he call him out by name? First of all, because he knows them, and he loves them, and he's also showing something else. There are dangers to the church, of course, from false teachers and, and, uh, and pressure and persecution of the government. But what Paul is showing us here is the greatest danger to the church, the greatest danger to redemption, Parker, is you and me. Our hearts still bend towards wickedness. Our desire to be made much of, our will to be put forward above those of the people on our left and right poses the greatest threat to any church. You're the greatest threat, and I'm the greatest threat. And if you don't think you are, either you don't think much of the church or you don't realize how dangerous this unity is. And so to stand firm, we have to fight for unity in the church because Christ died for the church. He, he ultimately ties it to the gospel. He says this, whose names are in the book of life. He's like, I know these women. They've worked hard alongside me. I've seen God work in and through their lives. And Jesus died for them. You know you got to spend eternity with each other, right? So Paul will say to the church in Rome... In the book of Romans, he says, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Unfortunately, that's not always a a possibility because it's as far as it depends on you. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. That's the first command. The second one is a strange command. You can pull it up there. Zoe. The second one is to rejoice in the Lord because our joy and God's glory are tied together. Look at this, verse 4. He says this, it's a command, it's in the imperative. It's not a suggestion, it's not like this would be nice. It is a command from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God to you and to me this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. That's the only command in the Bible where he put, that God puts it like that. He doesn't say, hey, do not commit murder. I'll say it again, don't commit murder. Don't, don't steal, I'll say it again, don't steal. No, this command, rejoice, have joy. In what? In the Lord, in the gospel. I'll say it again, have joy. That seems like a strange command. How, how can I just be commanded to be happy? Well, you are. And how do we do that? Well, he ties it to the gospel in the Lord. It's not just be happy for, for happiness sake. This isn't the, uh, a kind of a fake kind of Christianity. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. You know, meanwhile, the, the house around me is burning down. No, that's not what this command is saying. It's saying as you root yourself in the gospel, it, it will bring about a joy. It, sometimes it's a joy through tears, This isn't a fake kind of happy-go-lucky, just put on a, a nice face kind of command. This is be rooted in the gospel so that your joy will rise because we're commanded to glorify God. The, the, you hear me say it a lot if you've been around, but the Westminster Shorter Catechism, written in the 1700s, put it like this. What's the chief end of man? What's our purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And they're the same thing. So what you enjoy, you glorify. So you're commanded to enjoy God. But, but here's a beautiful thing. God gives you what He commands. Uh, Augustine, Zoe, can you click that for me? Augustine, in the fourth century, put it this way. He says, Our, on your exceedingly great mercy rests all my hope. Give what you command and then command whatever you will. Do you see what Augustine is saying? He's like, in and of ourselves, we can't just rejoice in the Lord, but, but would you give that to us first, Lord, and then command us to rejoice in you? That's the hope of the gospel. He puts in our joy in the Lord, Augustine said, You can t- take that off. So rejoice in the Lord. Again, it's not, a, it's not a fake happiness. It's sometimes through tears. Remember, Paul is writing this. He says in the book of Philippians that at one point through tears, but he's writing it's a book of joy even though it's a book of suffering. And so that's true of Paul and that's true of the Philippians. I think of one example of our community where I experienced this. Joy through tears. It's from the Russo family. Um, How long ago was that with Ellie? Twelve years ago? Twelve years ago, uh, we were in seminary, and uh, the Russos had one son already, and they were at the hospital giving birth, and we got a phone call. And they said that Ellie has died. Uh, An hour, maybe? Maybe. That she lived, or was almost 24. Okay, so you had 24 hours with her, and so we went to the hospital, and she—I'll never forget her placing Ellie in my wife's hands, and a time of intense suffering and tears, and yet there was a rootedness. To their faith, a joy in the Lord that has not only sustained them in that moment. That today, if you talk to the Russo family, they are stronger for it. There's joy, and it's commanded, and it's only found in Christ. So it's a strange command, but isn't it a good command of of God to command us to rejoice? Of all the things God could command us, He says, "Be happy." In the Lord, and I'll give you the source of all happiness. So there's another strange command. It's in the next one, uh, verse. Three, you can click it, there's a or verse five, so, sorry. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now that's, that's a strange verse. Uh, let your reasonableness, or your translation might say, your gentleness be known to everyone. Uh, live a life that demands an explanation. That's what Jeff Vanderstelt. that's a quote from Jeff Vanderstelt. Live a life that demands an explanation because the truth of the gospel gives us perspective, and stabilizes us. So, so, so let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So in a world for the Philippians that is, is crumbling down where they don't know where their daily bread's gonna come from, they don't know if the, the, the city officials are gonna arrest them and kill them, he says, look, in the midst of that, you see through all that, and you see God, and you respond with reasonableness. I love that. Because it sounds Unreasonable. Like when everything's crashing around in your life, it seems very reasonable to freak out. That's what I do more times than not, just to freak out. But he says, no, let your reasonableness be evident to everyone because the Lord is at hand. There's two meanings to that, and I think Paul means both. On the one hand, it's the promise that in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, his presence is with us. No matter what's happening in our lives, his presence is with us. The other thing is God's coming back. We sing about it. He will reign forever. That's what's true. That's the rock we can stand on. And that's why we can be reasonable in the face of tremendous struggle and hardship. When I think about this, I think about one of my heroes, Dinnerum Judson. Dinnerum Judson was the first American to leave American soil to be a first foreign missionary. He wanted to go to India, but the, they, they wouldn't let him in there, and he tried to go somewhere else. They wouldn't let him in there. He eventually went into Burma in the early 1800s. And for five years there, he labored to, to get to know the people created in God's image who were, did not know the Lord Jesus Christ, had never heard the name, and he, he tried and he tried to share the gospel, and none of them came to know the Lord. When he left, he left with a young wife, and he had, had sent a letter to his her uh, father before they got engaged and, and basically it said, look, uh, do you consent to, to give your daughter and, and probably never see her again? And the father also being reasonable in the Lord said, yes, I do. And they went to Burma. She died within a couple of years. He buried his young wife. He would bury two more wives and several children on the mission field there. And about six years into it, when there's no, no, no fruit, as we call it, uh, there's, there, no one has come to know the Lord. He's been arrested uh, by the authorities as, as a spy for the East Indian Trading Company. They think he's a spy. And he's, he's tied with uh, thick, heavy chains to a, uh, his feet, to a, a bamboo pole kind of laying on, on his shoulders up there with another prisoner who was a spy. And the prisoner said to him with kind of a sneer, so what do you think are the prospects of the gospel reaching the heathen here now, Adoniram? And his quote, I'll never forget his quote. He, he said this, the prospects are as bright as the promises of God. You only say that if you're reasonable in knowing what is true about God. And so it says, let your reasonless know because the truth of God stabilizes us. And then verse six and seven, each one of these could be a sermon in themselves. I'll, I'll spare you, but let's move on here. Verse six is the next one. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, he says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. Again, it's a strange command. Don't be worried, don't be anxious. I mean, we listened to Brad last week. Our world creates an anxiety, a pressure, an anxiousness, and it's just expected. In fact, if you're not anxious, you kind of lose a little bit of street cred. You, you lose some respect. Like the thing to say when someone says, how are you doing, is, man, I'm just really busy. Oh, well, you must be important. <laughs> but the person who is just resting in God and, and is able to lay at the feet of God his anxiety Man, peace comes with that. So lay down your burdens before the Lord because anxiety robs us of joy. And remember, we're called to glorify God and we do that through our joy. But God gives us peace through prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that that you can just uh, face some tremendously anxious situation and just say a 30-second prayer and move on. It may be praying through the night, like struggling, wrestling like Jacob did with the Lord, wrestling with him. God, I'm anxious. I'm worried. I can't sleep. Uh, this, this, this thing in my life is, is too much for me to bear. And God says, if you, if you will bring it to me in faith and lay it at my feet, you don't have to worry anymore. It's like Bowling. You know, when you bowl this the, the microsecond that after it leaves your hand, you realize you don't have any control over the ball, right? But you've seen you've been bowling, like the, the the dances people do to get it to get into that pocket, I, I mean, are insane. Or or if you're watching, uh, you know, an overtime game and your kickers come up to kick the ball, as soon as it leaves his foot, it's set. I mean, no, nothing's going to change at that point. But but you you you're like leaning with your TV and like, you're, we do that with prayer. Like I'm not going to be anxious. God, take that. But 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 do this. Do this. Come on, Lord. Don't, you know, says, so don't be anxious. Again, these 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 commands our commands and and the commands that we we fail short fall short of and even in that he ties it again and again to the gospel he says in the lord in the lord in christ jesus in the book of life he says just remember the gospel which brings us to our last command which is this verse eight finally brothers Whatever is true, whatever is lovely, I'm sorry, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Or it could actually be translated, meditate on these things. And so I have this, stir your affections for Christ, because your joy will follow our meditating on the truth of the gospel now now there's a lot of good advice for this. There's a lot of things that that just in general we should fill our minds with. But but the thing that fulfills every one of these things to its furthest degree is the gospel. Whatever is true, the gospel is true. Whatever is honorable, the gospel is honorable. Whatever is just, the justice of God is in the gospel. Whatever is pure, the blood of Christ is pure. Whatever is lovely, the love of God is pure. Whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, meditate on these things. Now, this is Christian meditation. Now, Eastern meditation says empty your mind and just kind of sit there and go um and do the mandalas and the yoga and all that stuff. That's not Christian, by the way. This is Christian. Christian meditation is very active. It says God has given you a mind. And so you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so you think on these things. You say, Lord, I see tigers and spiders around me, but that's not what's real in, in my world. The God. The gospel is what's real, the gospel is what's right, and you meditate on that, and we preach the gospel to ourselves, and we preach the gospel to each other, and then we have the peace of God which transcends it. It's this stirring our affections for Christ. Now, we get this from the Puritans. They have these words, mortification and vivification. They they like to talk about these two words, mortification of sin. How how do we put sin to death in our life? And vivification, how how do we awaken to the glories and beauty of of Christ? And, and, and of course, there's some things that are true of all of us. It it includes the Word of God. It includes includes prayer. It includes worship. and, And those all help us with mortification and vivification vivification. But there's other things, because we're all uniquely created, that, that stirs our affections for Christ. Some of you are runners. You're like, I just feel the presence of God when I run. That's Eric Liddell, the, the Olympian. He says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I don't feel God's pleasure. <laughs> you know, I like to do it in sport, but that's not, I'm not like, wow, Jesus is with me on this long run. Some of you are like that, because you're weird. But um, you get it, right? So what, what stirs your affections for Christ? Sometimes they're strange things. I know for me, one thing that stirs my affection for Christ is the dump. <laughs> How in the world is that? Okay, so when we lived in Okinawa, uh, we had this trailer, and oftentimes we had to go to the dump. Like, stuff would break down, or we had some trash, and, and they wouldn't take it on the street because they're very particular. So I had to drive to the city dump, and I would always take one of my daughters with me whenever I could. Why would I do that? Because we'd pull up in the dump, and we'd stop and just look for a moment and be like, look at that. That used to be a, someone's doll. And look over there, There, there's a a bike that's just rusted out and broken down because everything rusts out on a tropical island. And look at those cars. Those are probably really nice cars at one time. But it stirs my affection because when I go there and I'm teaching my kid and I'm reminded everything on this earth is eventually ending up in a place just like this. A day is coming where my nice house is going to be bulldozed. It may not be in my life, but it's temporary. Temporary. And so when I go to the dump, I'm reminded this, the stuff and the pursuits of this world are temporary, but Christ is eternal. So it stirs my affections. Same thing, going to cemeteries stirs my affections. Life is temporary. Oh, that person's 75, but that person was only 25. And that person's 42 like me. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. And so my affections are stirred for Christ. So what is it for you? Only you can decide that, but you have to make it a thing. So, so there it is. Click on one more verse for me. So here's the thing. Again, I don't think so. I don't expect us to just take all these commands and just run with them this week, but maybe there's one thing. Maybe there's other brothers and sisters that as far as it depends on you, you realize you haven't been as far as it depends on you, and for the sake of your joy and the unity of the church, you're going to fight for unity. Maybe you just need to obey the command to rejoice in the Lord. Say, God, I don't even—I don't feel happy about anything. I don't even know what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Maybe your prayer is just, Lord, help me this week to figure out what that means. Maybe your life looks too much like everyone else's life, and so no one's like, "Hey, you're different." Maybe you need to live a life that demands an explanation. Like, why do you do this? Why, why are you calm when everyone else should be freaking out? You're calm. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just you, you're full of anxiety and worry and you're, you're losing sleep. I've been there. I, I do that. And this was a reminder this week to, to, to lay it down and say, God, you promised that you'll guard my heart and mind you don't promise to answer everything. You don't promise to make it all right. You promise that in the midst of that, the peace of God will, will surpass all things. Maybe it's just, you just need to stir your affections for Christ. And, and that's part of what the message was last week. Like so, Some of our life is just so busy, we don't have time to stir our affections. So maybe you just go back and listen to last week's message and say, okay, that hour a day, that day a week, I'm going to focus on stirring my affections for Christ maybe through my family or time together. When I grow up, and I hope as we grow up in the Lord, we can be like Iditaram Judson. The promises are as bright as the, the prospects are as bright as the, as the promises of God. When, when Iditaram died in 1850, right before he died, he had translated the Bible into Burmese, and it was so well done, it's still used today. There's at least 10,000 churches that can trace their heritage back to Adoniram Judson today. He had much pain and much suffering, bearing three wives and many children. But on his deathbed, he said this, and this is what I hope to be at. I'm not there. Sanctification is a slow, long process. But again, our our destination is determined by our direction, not our intentions. Here's here's where I hope to go. He said this, I have had such views of the loving condescension of Christ and the glories of heaven as I believe are seldom granted to mortal men. Oh, the love of Christ. It is the secret of life's inspiration and the source of heaven's bliss. Oh, the love of Jesus. We cannot understand it now, but what a beautiful study of eternity. I love that. He's like, I'm blessed. My life has been blessed. I, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that Jesus is good, and forever and ever and ever, I get to study that, and I'll never arrive, even in eternity, because his love is infinite. That's my hope. May God make us those kind of people. Let me pray toward that end and then we'll come to this table and remember the gospel once again. God, we, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your evident passion through the Apostle Paul for the church that he loved. Lord, I, I don't know how it was received by Euodia and Cintiq. I don't know how it was received by the whole church but Lord, may, may Redemption Parker be a church that receives it and embraces it and even as we stumble and fall, are renewed by the gospel each week. Lord, we're going to walk out these doors this morning, and once again, the virtual world around us is going to try to convince us, trying to destroy and take away our joy in you. But Lord, help us with these commands to hold firm, to stand firm in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.